Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. We put it on our chest, we wear it, it's on our walls, and it's called accountable equity. And we always said, well, once we touch somebody's money, our whole goal is to give them back money with friends. Even though we're going to use real estate to do it, our job is now accountability to the investor. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy, not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place, so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Brian Burke from Praxis Capital, and you are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm very excited to have Josh McCallan. He is back, our first repeat guest ever on the uh, Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. He was our guest back in episode number two. Josh is the co-founder of Accountable Equity. He's the host of an awesome podcast, Capital Hacking. He is a capital syndicator. He's a hospitality investor. Welcome back, Josh, to the to the podcast. It means a lot to me to be part of your community. Left Field Investors is close to my heart. And to be the first ever repeat, which, by the way, is perhaps you knew this would happen because you put me on the second episode, right? It's almost like an, an omen. You made me the second ever episode, and now you've on the first ever second. I like that. I don't know how we're going to top it, but we're, we're going to do our best. And <laughs> because you're a repeat guest, we're not going to go through your whole backstory. It's an awesome story. If the, if the listeners want to hear it, go back to episode two and give it a listen. But what I want to know is, What's been happening since we last spoke, which was back in February? Yeah. So do you mind if I give a 30-second review of it, though, for the new listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Go for it. I'm that guy. You probably remember hearing the episode that has 10 children. I always say that up front because at the end of the day, whenever you ask any of us in business, even yourself, what are you? You, you? Sometimes you realize you're doing it all for your family. So I always put my family first there. Even though my business today is, you know, the a 20 year track record of building buildings, building companies, and with a deep expertise in hospitality development and hospitality operations. Today, I'm proud to say we get to be a part of two great companies, Accountable Equity, which is this wonderful community of investors all over the country, 
and Viva May, which is French for Revive the Soul. And what that means is we run hospitality assets, we believe, at an excellent level. Like we seek excellence based on the type of service we do. We call it Viva May. And that means that our goal is to treat everyone with their infinite dignity and worth and show them a little bit of love. So that's kind of our, that's our business. Yeah. Tell me, why is it important that you separate out the difference between accountable equity and, and Viva May? What's the point there? Well, I appreciate you asking that. I mean, so accountable equity was something that is second, right? I, I've been building resorts for 10 plus years in that specialty, working for family offices, being their president originally. And then there was this time over the last six, seven years where I got to know a guy named David Zook. You may know Dave Zook from, he might've even been on the show, I imagine. Was he on the show already? Great guy. He beat you. He was episode number no one. <laughs> See, <laughs> I have always been following this guy. So Dave Zook was one. I was number two. So Dave Zook, who used to come to my resorts for like eight years before where we are today, he eventually said, you should learn how to raise capital. This is like in 2016, because your resorts are great. You should learn how to buy these with partners instead of just work as a, as a partner. And I said, well, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. The word syndication was all brand new to me at the time. I always was working for the wealthiest people in the world. So I thought that's how you buy resorts. You have to be the wealthiest people in the world. You have to have a $100 million bank account and buy buildings. Well, bottom line is Dave introduced me to how syndication works. He takes me to real estate guys' secrets of syndication where they teach you to hire great lawyers, hire great CPAs. But there was something else that was said that day that changed my life forever. And this was years ago now, four years ago, probably when I first learned how to syndicate. They said, the day you take a dollar from an investor, you're in two businesses. So the day before you took a dollar from investors and built a fund, you were a wonderful hotel operator or a multifamily operator or self-storage operator, and you knew that business. Fast forward, the day after you take dollars from investors and put them in an SEC Regulation D fund, you're now a private equity group, and you own a business that is a private equity group. Boutique, it might be boutique, it might be small, but you've started a whole nother type of industry. You're in a new industry. And that impacted me. And that's why we na- we spent a month debating what name we should put on that company. And we ended up landing on a name that was clear to us. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm wearing the logo. You can't see it in the video because it's a podcast. But we put it on our chest. We wear it. It's on our walls. And it's called Accountable Equity. And we always said, well, once we touch somebody's money, our whole goal is to give them back money with friends. Even though we're going to use real estate to do it, our job is now accountability to the investor. And, and that's just, to be honest with you, it fit our heart very closely. Like we don't, we're in this to be a win-win kind of, I mean, we just, we're in hospitality for God's sake. We're in the idea of loving guests. And therefore we treat our investors like guests. And that's probably why we have some of the best quarterly on-site meetings where you get to meet other investors that uh, we call those learning grows. But back to the question, we treat accountable equity as its own full-fledged company. It has a CFO, it has staff, it has a program, meaning four times a year we get together in a mastermind for all investors. It has a commitment to build funds. So if you really boil down accountable equity now, it's doing what the biggest hedge funds in the world and BlackRock's doing, okay? It's creating funds with a purpose. It's attracting investors as long as those funds serve them, it's good for them to look at them. It's then generating revenues inside its operating businesses off to the side. 
and then paying back investors and giving them the promise that they asked for, right? So we treat that extremely cleanly. Like that is the business now. And for us, we knew that we would add a little extra sugar and spice and everything nice, and we call it investor hospitality. So if you're going to invest with us, and we have three types of way of investing, which again, not every person who's been on your show even talks like us. Most of the time, they're talking about raising a Reg D fund to buy one building, and that's a fantastic model. But our model is different. We believe we were led to this model because we think our calling is is growth and, and to be there for the investor. So we actually designed three ways to invest. You can invest as an equity partner. We call those capital H funds. And you're an investor with a capital H3, I believe. Yep. And then we think other people, because our investors, multiple, they invest in all our funds sometimes and they use each fund for different reasons. Then we created efficient income funds, which I hope you ask me about later. These efficient income funds were designed after I watched Dave Zook design the ATM machine fund. And I realized, wait a second, that's a fund that's following the IRS tax code to the T and allowing investors to get that bonus depreciation, high yield. I'm like, what if I did the same idea, but I put it into cash flowing assets like golf carts or kitchen equipment or solar equipment, stuff that has the same IRS tax treatment and that we were going to pay through the nose as an operating company to somebody else. Why not give that profit to our investors? And, and why would they buy that? Because they can get rid of tax liabilities this year and make money on their money. Oh, and by the way, instead of having to wait seven years like an ATM fund, you can be paid back in three and a half years, fully paid back with all your profit. So we created a whole bunch of those. We've done three now. And next year, we're moving to the private REIT model where we're going to launch the first ever group funds called a, a collateralized debt fund. And that'll be an evergreen fund. We have a hundred person waiting list for that right now. And I am very excited about maybe even coming back as a third get time guest next year to share with you why companies like ours are adding these private REITs to our list of options, right? Not every investor is going to buy all three. Not every investor is perfect for all three. But when going back to your question, the reason we are going to have all three types and we'll do more investments in each type is because not every investor is the same. Some investors are actually using their IRA. They might want the private REIT because it, it gets rid of UBIT, it gets rid of UDFI, it produces a higher yield for them, but they probably wouldn't want the EIF because the EIF is great for after-tax dollars, get rid of some taxation this year. And then of course, C, capital H's, that's when you want to build real wealth, multiple revenue streams, be our partner for a long, long time, and own some of the prettiest assets in the world. So that's my whole answer. But accountable equity is where I spend 90% of my time now. And you you may know this from watching our webinars, but we have this incredible staff running the resorts. We have over 200 plus employees. We train every week and we have great executives and we're doing very, very well there. So that is part of my passion. Of course, I still am there every day. I still keep an office in the buildings, but I work with investors every day. And that's why we have so many. We have 322 active investors in four years. We have 1,500 people in our community and we welcome more. That's a great summary. So I understand that the accountable equity is the investing arm. Then you have Viva May. That's what accountable equity investors are investing in. So can you tell us a little bit about 
the hospitality part, what the investors are investing in the resorts. So our key competency, you know, everybody brings some key competency to the world. Ours is operating resorts to mega, mega cash flow and revenue profitability. So I would say we, we remember our background, we showed up on national lists from Inc. Magazine, top fastest growing companies. We grew up, this is before I created the companies that investors can invest in, my previous companies I created. And then uh, we came into the top 25 hotels in America for three years in a row out of 55,000. So our, our core competency is actually hospitality operations. You're absolutely right. Therefore, developing out hospitality will always be part of my life forever. We're adding the core competency of treating investors like guests and making sure they have overperform on the returns and overperform on the community. But uh, back to my hospitality expertise, Viva May is the management company. So we'll do a quick dive here. If you, and I do think, I know you told me before the call, you want to ask me, how are we doing with the COVID? We'll get to that in a minute. But hospitality is a little bigger than we all think. You know, I remember when I first moved from house land development in the, in the bust after 2008, we were house builders before then. I worked for some of the best house flips in America, $5 million house flips, really beautiful stuff. After that world ended, later we moved into hospitality and that's kind of how the core competencies connect. But when I first got into hospitality, I would have thought it was all one thing. But let me dissect it for a minute. You know, we've all heard of Marriott, Hilton, and the big brands. The big brands control the majority of the hotels in the country. But there are almost equal number of independents. And I live in the world of independents. However, that doesn't mean we shouldn't learn from Marriott Hospitality and Marriott Hilton. They've paved the way. And over the years, they've come to realize that Marriott used to own hotels. Guess what? Barring a few exquisite hotels that they couldn't sell, they didn't want to sell. They've gotten rid of all the ownership of their 5,000 hotels. They don't own them anymore. You and I own them. You and I could raise money and buy a Marriott. It would be called a Marriott because you and I would sign a 20-year contract to put that flag name on it, and then we would pay them 11 to 12% a year to keep their name on it. In exchange, they would give us the, the leads from Marriott website, and they would run it for us. So that's a pretty, probably a fair trade, 11, 12, 13% all in. And they stack a whole bunch of fees, operations, marketing, senior marketing, and then branding. Okay, they have, So they stack these fees. Then they charge you for every reservation. It all in. It's pretty expensive. However, it's a Marriott, so you make money. Except for during COVID, where they're not exactly making money. But so you have the Marriotts. Then you have to dissect hospitality. Well, does Marriott own resorts? Yes, but the majority of what Marriott owns is right down the middle, called business travel. Then they own some select service, which means side of the highway, like Fairfield Inn. But their core business is business travel. So they're struggling, and they've been struggling ever since COVID started. And I never thought I'd see the day. Because growing up building independent hotels for the last 10, 12 years and doing it five times now in the last 10 years, I've always thought, hmm, they have it easy. They're Marriott. Well, guess what? We're way outperforming them. And our sector called Drive to Leisure is actually performing better than ever post-COVID. So since COVID began, there was a lockdown. Once the lockdown started unlocking, we started pacing with Airbnb. You remember how Airbnb, after the COVID, started kicking butt. Everybody who had an Airbnb yes. could sell it for 25% more. They could fill it up. Same experience has been happening to us for probably the same reason. You can drive to us. We're typically outdoor experiences. Uh, we're beautiful things, just like what you needed after the lockdown. We're not in the city. Oh, and guess what? We don't care about business travel. 
I love business travel, but that's not our business. Our business is lifestyle experiences, getaways with your family, food and beverage with your family, weddings. All of those things are on a rapid increase since the COVID has begun. And that therein lies the COVID answer. We've actually grown since COVID. And we can dig into that. I know there's a couple things you might not. I think you know everything we do because you've been watching what we do online. But you know, our strategy is layering revenue. And we'll talk all about that if you want. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you guys have performed so well during COVID when travel, hospitality, all that was what everyone looks at as getting decimated. But I've also, again, been following you, as you said, and you're actually doing some Airbnb stuff as well. That's is true. that correct? And, and can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was really interesting to me that you'd have these big resorts and then you're going to buy some Airbnb stuff on the side. Well, and for everyone who's listening, yeah, this is these are really the right questions. This is why Left Field Investors is pretty cool because it allows you to get in at whatever entry level, meaning I've never invested privately, but I can feel comfortable at Left Field Investors. Or I've bought 12 different deals in my life and I still am learning from Left Field Investors. So what you're asking me right now is why did we add Airbnb? So this past year, it all goes back for us. It's actually very tactical. There's so many cool answers here. I want to start with the number one. Those who own Renault and now Kent, which are our two, two big flagships of our business, and Renault is older, meaning three years into it, Renault Winery Resort, we are sold out. Even if you're an investor, you have to kind of figure out a way to get a, a room. There's just no rooms left for 22 well, of course, 21 is almost over. 22, you can't get a room. 23, you can't get a room. Why? Wow. Because we've sold it out already. So, and there's a problem. And back when we were buying these resorts, the number one question we got was, sounds like you're going to make a lot of money with weddings. Yes, we are. Sounds like you're going to have thousands of guests a week. Yes, we are. But you only have 50, five zero rooms. What are you going to do, Josh? And I always said, we're going to fill the hotel and charge a lot of money per room night. And then I'm going to come back to you and we're going to do a phase two and build a bigger hotel. I said it from the beginning and I've held, I've held true to it. That baby is so oversold. We turned down 200 room night requests every Friday and, and probably more than that every Saturday. And it's not even fair because if you listen to this podcast and you're like, I want to go there, barring a few winter nights, there's a few winter nights you can slip in like January, you could slip in on a Friday or Saturday. Or late December, right around Christmas, you can slip in. But those will probably be sold out by the time you get this podcast. But going forward, it's because the weddings already took them, okay? Because when someone buys a wedding, it's 18 months out. What's the number one question they ask us? Is the room available, meaning the, the venue? Okay, I paid you the money for the venue deposit. Oh, by the way, are the rooms in the hotel available? So they're asking us 18 months before the rooms even go on the market. And we're saying, yes, how many do you need? And guess what they're asking us for? 30. The typical husband, the father of the bride asks for 30 rooms for three days because he knows he's coming in. His relatives are coming in. The other side of the family is coming in. And they know they're not coming in the day of and sleeping there one night. They're coming in for a few days. First of all, we have a golf course. We have restaurants. We have night before parties. And guess what we give them? One room gets three nights, two nights, actually, three nights. You can have three nights for one room. And you can have 10 rooms for one night. And that is the worst thing you have to do to this poor family, but it's the best we can do. That way, every bride, because we're going to be doing between five on the slow nights, five weddings a weekend to 13. That's been our pace this year. So wow. if we don't spread out the room gifts and give them, a, you know, give them room, then we want to make sure every bride's in the hotel, every father of the bride's in the hotel, 
but it gets thin after that. So we fill two hotels every weekend. We fill two of our competitive hotels every weekend. And if I was smart, I would have bought them. I used yeah. to joke about that. I said, I should have bought them because they're getting $100 more a night, which is a 100% lift than they've ever charged in the cold months. And we should have bought them because we would have just reaped all that profit. Now, instead of being able to buy those, I'm buying Airbnbs. Okay. So that was the long answer to explain why we have to buy Airbnbs. So I'm not too worried about Airbnb as a brand. I'm more worried about having houses that when you ask me for all those room blocks, I can say, you can have 10 rooms in a hotel and one estate house. Would you like the estate house for three nights? I can give it to you for three nights. You can put husband, you can put the dad's family in there or the mom's family in there, right? The husband or wife. So that's why I'm buying Airbnbs. I'm going to have those sold out for years in advance too. And it's more of a, a short-term play, Jim, because next year is the big push for Renault phase two, where I'm going to raise probably $20 million to build the hotel expansion and complex for pools and neighborhoods. And then we're probably going to come back to your investors and say, for you doctors and dentists, if you want to use a, if you want to buy a house, we'll sell you a duplex or a quad and you can have a turnkey rental on the property that you own and we'll operate and you'll make a ton of money. So we're going to be doing all those things over the next year. I think that's great. I, you know, it's really interesting when you have a wedding, right? It's almost like staying in a hotel for the family or the father of the bride or the other side. They'd rather be in a house, right? Because you can kind of entertain better. You have more space and, and it's just more comfortable for the family. So I think Absolutely. And having those those houses on the property or those headquarters, right? For the, yeah. for the wedding party just makes great sense. So I think that's really, really exciting. Yeah. And it'll be fun to brainstorm with you and whoever's listening. If you want to join like a what do you call it? Consumer research study with Jim and I. I'd love to do a seminar with your group, Jim, a year from now, half a year from now, when I have the legal permission to start building these duplexes and quads, because we're seeking approval to build like hundreds of them. We're not going to build them all at once, but we're seeking approval so we can do five at a time, three at a time, right? And we're going to, we're, our theory right now is we'll build the hotel with our funds and give that all to our investors. Of course, they're going to make a lot of money off that. But the house is, you know, because we're going to need more than a hotel. The hotel, we're not going to build a gigantic world. It's not going to be the world's biggest hotel. It's going to be a nice size, bigger hotel with pools and spas. But then what about all those hundreds of guests we turn away? We're going to let you, doctors, dentists, go ahead and buy a quad or a triplex or, or a single or a double for a very nice price. Put a mortgage on it, for God's sake. And guess what? We'll operate it. So it's kind of like I see everybody with Memphis Invest and Turnkey Rental. It'll be like that, only it'll be something you might want to bring the family to every holiday, too. Hey, Left Builders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy. Until recently, if I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. So what about other resorts? Are you still buying other resorts? I know you have a few that you've already gotten. And, and also, can you talk about this H3 that I'm in? Is that Are they all going to be funds? Or are they all going to be single property or single resort? investments? How do investors get in? And I want to talk about the funds to, to start. 
Yeah, thanks for asking. You're absolutely right. So whenever you want to be our partner forever, and we're pretty much a perpetual holding company. So we're a cash flow forever company. And the way we typically pay you back is through debt after five years. We use a debt. So those are the capital H funds. If you ever want to be that kind of investor with us, you're going to want to own something. That's what you do. So the answer is Capital H3 has, has sought and done due diligence this year on eight awesome properties. This year, in year 21. And we worked our ass off, got three to LOI. And then this year, the bankers were not interested in giving us debt. Even though they originally tell you they're going to give you debt, this year is still marred by COVID. So even though you and I can raise equity, you and I can make money, if we owned it, we would have made a lot of money. We weren't able to get the simple first place debt. And that has helped us be smarter. It's helped us pivot. It's part of the reason we're going to be creating our own private debt fund. But for this year, 21, all the bankers said, listen, can you come back in 22? We just have a freeze on giving new debt on hospitality this year. Why? Because even the Marriott's who focus on business are struggling. So we are killing it and they see that. So they all say, can you call us back in March? Can you call us back in April, 2022? And what they're thinking as normal bankers is the year 21, we were told not to originate any new hospitality debt, but 2022 is fair game. So can you call us back? So for 21, we got to the altar three times with signed LOIs, with good prices, with great terms of serve, meaning terms, meaning they were going to hold a half a million, a million. It was going to make it even more IRR rich to our investors, but we had to postpone. I would say because all of those we built rapport with, I bet you in 22, all of them call us back and are willing to sit down with us again. And you mentioned IRR. So can you talk about the typical returns and uh, cash flow and how long you have have been invested until cash starts coming? Just kind of the the process. Yeah, the process originally, I mean, I'm a, in a sense, I'm conservative in my promises and aggressive in my actions, which I think is what you need to be a good person who's entrusted with equity. So our conservative approach, we used to say, if you're going to be our partner forever, then you're really our partner. We're not taking profitability out. We ask you to wait a year before you start getting distributions. And then at first I was actually saying, could you wait two years in full transparency? Could you wait until I finish construction and operate and then we'll distribute? Otherwise, nobody gets money. We keep it in the business. We make it crank. We kept to that promise and made our first distributions on our first new funds on time, even with the pandemic in 2020. So in 2020, we still made distributions, even though we had to live through, uh, that was 21, this year. This year, at the beginning of 21, we paid all our distributions through 20, caught everybody up who was on the one-year wait. And we, by the way, the people who buy our EIFs have always made their monthly payments, meaning those. So we have some investors who buy preferred equity that gets a monthly distribution. We've always been current. But the people who are waiting and or were uh, seeking biggest growth they got caught up at the beginning of this year. So the answer is, we usually are going to say, if you're in the equity hold, partner equity hold, you're going to wait one year for your first distribution, worst case scenario, two years. But you're then from that point forward, you're going to be caught up on your preference. As we start to get cash flow, we will start paying down your equity beyond the preference. And our goal is always, and still will be five years for full recapitalization, but no buyout. If you buy partner equity, you're not being bought out. You're our partner forever. If you buy the types of equity we also sell, called preferred equity, our C classes, they come with a contract where you either get offered to be bought out or you can convert. It's your choice. But the B partners are our, our forever partners. You're just along for the ride and you're going to make all the wealth as we grow. 
and participate in all the distributions of debt. Okay. So you get, you'll basically get your capital back within five years and you'll start getting cash flow within one to two years. Yep. And the IRRs are always north of 15. And really, we tend to chop off between five and 7% what our pro forma actually shows. And so the reason I say that is because our pro formas, I've never done one that was less than 22%. And so what we've decided, though, is we try to not overpromise. So we've, even when our pro forma back end is showing 22% conservatively, we usually will say, look, we're targeting above 15. And that's just a kind of an internal choice that we've always done. And if you were to take our numbers and run them, you'd see it's a 22%. But what we do is we give you all our performance and then we say we're shooting for north of 2015 so that you guys are, so we're honest with everybody. That makes sense. So I understand what you're doing here is you're buying a resort. I'm investing in it. I'm getting some cash flow. Give me my capital back over a period of time. And then I own in cash flow forever. Correct. So that to us in left field investors, that's similar to a lot of the other things we do investing in real estate. So I want to talk about the EIF, the Efficient Income Fund. That's different. You compared to ATMs, but I'd like to dig into it a little bit deeper. Can you explain and maybe attach some numbers if you invest 50 grand, what you just, because I don't really completely understand what we're looking at there. All right. So I, I actually just called Dave Zook last week and told him what I was doing. I said, he, I said, so, you know, number one, the typical investor for us is somebody who has multiple streams of income. Some of them are passive. Someone they might own a rental house, they might be part of some kind of fund, and they're getting fifty grand in profitability each year, but they're they're paying some taxation on that because it's not protected. So this those people, doctors, dentists, active investors like you, you probably unless you've perfectly timed it, you're going to have some exposure to taxation. Ideally, you don't. Ideally, you bought you have hundred thousand dollars of passive income coming in and about a hundred thousand plus of depreciation. Therefore, zero taxation on that. Well, the EIF, just like the ATM machine, has the benefit of doing that. Like you buy $100,000 of ATM, or let's use mine, $100,000 of EIF. This year, we will be writing off 100%, right? So you get a negative K1 in four weeks. You write a check in December this year, and you get a negative K1 in February. So one, one month of, of this year, you got all the benefit of zero zero, what is called a negative K1, meaning passive loss. But at the same time, January is when you forget your first check. So let me pull up the actual numbers. The typical investor is probably 100,000. However, we do not require 100 grand. It's $10,000 minimum. So it's much more manageable. And it allows you to say, well, this year I only need to offset 25,000. Well, then buy 25,000. You get it? Then offset it. Get rid of the twenty-five grand this year. That's how I designed it. I designed it for me, Jim, because there's going to be years where I'm like, I need to get rid of thirty-three grand of profitability on paper, but I don't want to give up taxation. I don't want to lose money. So, boom, that's where it all came from. And there, the, the other cool thing that compares, and I'm going to pull out the numbers so I can read them to you. And and we do have a webinar. If you just hit me up at AccountableEquity.com. This is actually was designed. The third one, we're on the third fund, very successful, all the investors. The third one was actually a collaboration between me and a guy named Richard C. Wilson from Family Office Club because he found out about my first two. He had me on his show. We talked about his, about these efficient income funds, one and two. And he said, listen, what you're doing is what every family office asks me about. How can they tailor make a few purchases at the end of the year into funds to get cash flow, but also reduce taxation? And that's what we built. So I'm reading, I'm going to read it to you right now. 
anywhere from 10,000 up. But of course, we incentivize you. We're the ones that sell equity increments. I think you know this from buying in with us before. And I have a special mm-hmm. announcement for left field investors, by the way. We sell our funds in increments, but we treat you as tribes without having to create a private LLC, Jim. If Jim and Bill and Sam call me, you could collectively come from one tribe and we're going to push you up to another income level of or purchase level. So the EIF starts at 10, but you get a big bonus if you buy in at 100 and you get a bigger bonus if you buy in at 300 and you get a massive bonus if you buy in at 500. And the what we do is we just change the preferred internal return. But the truth is the biggest benefit comes from your offsetting taxation. So you're getting the preferred return plus you're getting the bonus depreciation. So you usually can calculate that in the 30 to 40 percentile, depending on your personal taxation rate. And that's why people say, wow, this is hovering around an internal rate of return of 37 to 51%. And the reason they're saying that is because it's only a three-year total deal, but you're getting $30,000, dollars in tax savings year one. You get it? So if I give you back $30,000 in tax savings year one, that's a big IRR boost. And then you get paid for the next three years, get all your money back, get all your interest on it, and move on to your next deal. But let's say I give you $10,000 um, December 1st. In three years, I could expect, what, what's the multiple? How much do I get back? I'm going to answer it twice. I'm going to answer it in brass tax. Brass tax is you, if it was cash on cash with no taxation, we offer like, let me see what our percentage is on 10. 10 is the bare bones. So that is not as lucrative. That comes with a preference of, let me start here. It comes with a preference of 1%, right? So you're making 1% on your money, but you're also getting all your taxation. So it comes to an IRR of 37%, believe it or not. But, but. And it comes with a two-year payback. However, if you're at the three hundred thousand, you're getting six percent on top of that, right? And if you're at five hundred thousand, you're getting eight percent on top of that. Now, another way you look at us compared to the ATMs is cash on cash. And remember what cash on cash is, because I had to like look it up. Cash on cash means whatever you wrote your check, take the money you get in cash the next year and divide it, and then each year. So here, the cash on cash is ranges between. 25% is the lowest cash on cash. And that's if you put 10 grand in. You would get a 25% cash on cash, which means you'd be making in installments $2,500 in the first year. So that's 25%. If you counted taxation, you would have gotten a 35.6% cash on cash because you would have lowered your taxes and got cash, right? Now, the highest we offer on cash on cash is at the 500000 and that's 29% cash on cash, up to 40% cash on cash with taxation, right? So not to overcomplicate it, but your people are smart. It depends. Everybody's on the page. This is why we put a website together and we put a we yeah. put a, a fast on-demand webinar together. Just go to accountableequity.com, say you're curious and you'll get it within a minute, hopefully. <laughs> and you'll watch it. You'll get the, the backstory. You'll see Richard Wilson explain how he uses it for family offices. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, so powerful. And all we're doing is giving you what Blackstone gives their investors and what Carlisle Group gives their investors. You and I can't join those those funds, but we can join this. And so that, that's why you want to bring friends, right? So you're saying if, if, I, if I have a bunch of friends and we want to get it together up to 500,000, we're going to get a lot better benefits than if I'm on my own. Yep. And it's not even that complicated, meaning you don't have to have a, a joint phone call. You could. We could do a joint call. I could explain it to your group. You guys decide we're at 100,000 all in. 
meaning I'm 10, you're 20, he's 50, you'll all get the $100,000 B class. Now that's really not offered to everybody, but to your tribe, absolutely. It's also offered to people that are already current investors. So if you're a loyal, efficient, accountable equity investor, and a group of you, or you have brothers that have always wanted to join you, we'll consider you a tribe as well. Oh, that's great. That, that's really interesting. So again, I just want to understand what you're actually investing. And you said golf carts and other type things. So where the ATM machine is, is a piece of equipment called an ATM machine with cash flow. Ours is we would have leased equipment as an operation. Renault would have bought golf carts. It would have bought equipment for the restaurant. It would have bought things that make money out on like golf cart food trucks and stuff like that. Anything we would have bought with a lease, we now give to the EIF. And so the money that we would have paid to Wall Street people like Blackstone for a lease goes to the group of investors we've put together called the EIF. So it is a captive leasing company. This year, we'll be buying kitchen equipment because we're surging. We grew by 300% this year. So we're changing our kitchens out, which allows us to do more food faster. Therefore, it's worth it to us. So you'll be buying hundreds of thousands of walk-ins and kitchen hoods and things like that. Then you'll be buying. Last year, we were able to sell a solar package on top. This year, we can't add a solar package. So it's all things that make us money or save us money. Every piece of equipment is basically cutting our energy bill because we're transferring out of a piece of equipment from 12 years ago into a brand new energy efficient equipment. So it's a win, win, win. Yeah, that, that's exciting. You know, And, and you're right. I, I am going to have to get you on for episode number three because we haven't even talked about the, uh, the collateralized lead. debt fund, which I'd yeah, like to do, we'll do that next, next time because that's not quite ready. So the, the last thing I always ask is favorite podcast, which you did last time. And you probably don't remember which one. So we're going to see if you have new favorites or if you're going back to the old favorites. So what podcast do you recommend? Cashflow Ninja is probably the one that I recommend the most, even though I love like five of them. I love real estate guys. I love uh, bigger pockets, but Cashflow Ninja. And you know why? Because he put us in his book. If you've ever seen the 21 best cashflow secrets book, we have two chapters in here on what we're doing because he researched us a lot. He's one of our largest investors, MC Laubscher. And hundreds and hundreds of people come because of what he did. So he, we're in chapter four and we're in chapter like 30. So you got to see us. He wrote about us twice. I just bought that book and MC is going to be on the show in a few weeks. So that's that's good to know. I'm going to definitely uh, read those chapters a couple extra times. Yeah. So it's chapter four and then it's, it's called, that was a, we're the top four of his 21. And then we're also bonus number five, efficient income fund. He did a whole piece on it because he loves it. He's an investor. in that. Well, that's great. Again, Josh, I, I love talking to you. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I love having you on mine. So this is number two. We're <laughs> searching for number three, maybe uh, next year sometime. <laughs> but if people want to contact you or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Please jump over right now. Join us. Maybe even come in person and see MC. He'll be speaking the 10th of December at the property for everybody who wants to join us at the Learn and Grow at accountableequity.com. Accountableequity.com. Two words spelled all the way out. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. And thank you again for being a fantastic guest. Thank you, buddy. It's always a lot of fun talking to Josh, hearing about all the different things he's cooking up. He really is a visionary in resort investing and just making sure that the customer comes first and focusing on his customer, whether that's the people at the resort in his Viva May company or his clients who are the investors in Accountable Equity that are investing in the resort. So fantastic guy, great conversation, really interesting. You know, I thought this the last time we talked too is how they made it through the pandemic 
much better than you would think for someone in the travel and uh, hospitality industry, where that, that's where you heard all the really tough losses had come. And because they're doing weddings and because they had outdoor events, they just did a really great job and came through the pandemic very well. I also really liked that we could really dive into the efficient income fund because I really wasn't sure what that was, even though we had talked about it last time a little bit. And he really brought some clarity to that. And I like the approach. It's a great idea. It's a great way instead of going out and and getting the bankers to finance some of this equipment, you get investors to finance it. And then you can offer them tax benefits and a return as well. So it's a really unique strategy. And hearing that guys like Dave Zook are into it and he's talked to them about these kind of things, that makes me feel good about it as well. And I've invested with Josh before and I know some others in our community have as well. So I have some confidence there. Sounds like things are really going great for him. And I really can't wait to have another conversation with him at some point next year to talk about the collateralized debt fund. Because every time I talk to him, he has something new and interesting um, that we're able to invest in. So looking forward to that. And we'll see you next time in left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.